this episode of the podcast, we're going to explore why some notes sound good and some notes don't. It sounds simple, but as we get into it, we'll discover that there's a lot more to this question than meets the ear. Stick around. In this episode of the podcast, we are going to do our usual thing, which is take a student question from uketropolis.com and expand on it. This week's question just happens to be one that I have been asking myself for years, and it came up this week because Diego is working on Lesson 7 of the Ukulele Way, Book 3. Remember, the Ukulele Way is all about learning to play chord melody learning to play the melody and the harmony and the rhythm simultaneously on one ukulele so that you can jump up on stage and just play the whole thing. You are your own backup band. And that, of course, is quite a journey because it's quite a juggling act. Now, Diego, as I said, is on Lesson 7 of Book 3, where he is learning the melody Au Clair de la Lune, the famous French melody that goes like this. except that just plunking out the notes of the melody does not a chord melody arrangement make. You couldn't just stand up on stage at your family reunion or open mic at a festival and just plunk out the notes of the melody. That wouldn't be enough. There's just not enough support for the melody. So in this lesson, you learn how to add a drone to that like this. Okay, getting there, but still it could use a little bit of uh, sparkle. So you also learn how to add a harmony voice over top that really sweetens the sound, like this. And that repeats. It's starting to sound a lot more complete, right? And it's specifically about adding this sweetening layer this harmony layer above the melody that Diego is asking about. He's wondering how you choose which note is used to harmonize above the melody. How do you know which note to add to sweeten the sound? He says, I was checking to see if we always go by the chord when playing these harmonizing notes, which we call thirds. He says, for example, in measure one, beat four... The chord is F, but the melody note is G, and we are playing it with its harmonizing note, which is B flat. Well, neither G nor B flat are in the chord of F. So, what gives? Why do we sometimes harmonize according to the chord of the moment, and sometimes 
We don't. Well, this is a great question. And just to reiterate, if you're sitting there going, excuse me, what? What is the question? <laughs> what Diego is wondering is, how do you know that a note is going to sound good? I mean, that's fundamentally it. How do you know if a note that you pick is going to sound good? Well, usually we say, well, you look at the chord, because the chord kind of gives you the context for the melody. I always, I always say that melody is like the water in a river. It's flowing, 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 always moving. But harmony is kind of like the boulders in the river. It's the shape of the river. And the melody has to flow around the harmony. The harmony gives us the landscape, and the melody sort of cuts a path through it. But ultimately, it's the harmony that lays the groundwork, literally, in, in the case of my analogy, lays the groundwork for the melody to flow. Melody flows around harmony. And so when we're deciding which note is going to sound good, we always look to the chord. And we say, well, is this melody note that I'm playing going to resonate with the chord of the moment, or is it going to be dissonant against the chord of the moment? Now, if there wasn't anything to give a context, well, then there are no wrong notes, because you could just play any old melody note, and it wouldn't matter. So, the thing that we are always looking to is that chord. And of course, for the most part, we're looking to the notes within that chord. And we say, well, as long as I'm playing one of the notes in that chord, then the note that I'm playing will sound good. If I've got the chord F, which I do, well, I know that the chord F has the notes F, A, and C. So if I play the note F, or if I play the note C, or if I play the note A, I know that those notes will sound good with the chord. Those notes will agree with the chord. But sometimes you have a melody that has a note that is not in the chord of the moment. And yet, it still sounds good. So what gives? That's the confusing part to me. You know, I'm okay with this rule that, okay, look, if you play a note that is in the chord, then that note is going to agree with the chord and everything will be fine. But what happens to that theory when I find a melody like this that plays a note right there, fourth beat of the first measure, that is not in the chord and that note sounds fine? So doesn't that undermine this whole theory? The whole theory that in order to agree with the chord, you have to play a note from the chord? What is going on here? Well, the conventional explanation for this is what we call a passing chord. Passing chord. It's, it's something you hear all the time talked about in music theory videos on YouTube or music theory lectures at university or just between people who are really nerding out on why music works the way it works, you'll hear people talking about passing chords. And they would say that, well, on that fourth beat, right there, you actually very momentarily get a different chord. 
just for a split second, just for that one beat. It's so short that you don't actually bother to notate it in the music. It's just kind of an outgrowth of the way the melody moves. And this one, in, in, in this particular case, if I look at the notes that I'm holding down, B flat, G, and C, well, I could say that those add up to a bit of a C7 kind of-ish chord. So I could say, well, on that fourth beat, I have a C7 passing chord. I have F, 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 C7, and back to F. See how that C7 just pops its head out of the ground for a split second and then disappears again, like a little harmonic groundhog that just pops up and is gone again. F, 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 C7, back to F, right? That is one sort of possible explanation for it. And I think that is a pretty good explanation for it. The idea of the passing chord that is so fleeting that we don't even really bother to name it or write it in the music. It just kind of happens because of how the melody is moving. That to me always felt like um, not a bad explanation, but maybe not the full explanation that I was hoping for. And over the years, I've uh, really glommed onto something that I heard one of my professors talk about it at university. And that was the psychology of how we listen. This, to me, gets a little bit more to the heart of the matter. And I remember this teacher of mine has had a, a huge influence on, on my life, my musical life. Uh, his name is Bob Pritchard. Everybody called him Dr. Bob. Uh, he insisted that people call him Dr. Bob. And he's one of the only teachers I've kept in touch with over the years, and I still call him up when I have music questions or when I have life questions. <laughs> you know, call Dr. Bob. Um, he will take the time to listen, he will be supportive, and he will take it on. He is there for you, and it's one of the things that made him such a great teacher. He just can't help but care about his students. Dr. Bob had three rules, by the way. This is a little tangent, but not totally. Dr. Bob had three rules in the classroom, and for you teachers out there, you can totally adopt these three rules you can steal them from Dr. Bob. I'm sure he won't mind. Rule number one was don't panic. Great rule. Great thing to start with. Rule number one, don't panic. There's going to be a whole lot of stuff coming at you, and you are going to want to panic. Just don't, because you'll figure it out. Don't panic. Rule number two was, and these were rules that he told us on the first day of class. Rule number two was maybe my favorite and the most profound, I think, from a, a, a teaching point of view. Rule number two was, if you don't understand, it's my fault. Is that beautiful or what? I mean, <laughs> here you have a teacher saying, if you don't understand, it is my fault as a teacher. What an amazing statement to make. I mean, it puts all of assessment into perspective. You know, when a student does poorly on a test, that is supposed to be a cue, at least partly, to the teacher to say, your method of teaching is not working. But so often, we fall into the trap of saying, well, that student's just not getting it. But no, no, Dr. Bob said, if you don't understand, it's my fault. 
And then rule number three comes in to sort of make sure that the students don't misunderstand. Hey, you still have to do your part. Rule number three was stay with the tour. In other words, I can't learn this for you. You have to show up. You can't expect to learn this if you don't stay with the tour. So do your part and everything will be fine. Don't panic. If you don't understand, it's my fault. And stay with the tour. Thank you, Dr. Bob. One of the other things that I took away from my time with Dr. Bob was this concept of the way we listen and the psychology of listening. And the idea that when we are listening to music, we do not listen in the moment exclusively. We listen in a bubble of time. A bubble of time where we are hearing the current thing that we're listening to. We're hearing the note of the moment, the chord of the moment, but <laughs> we are also reevaluating what we've just heard based on what we're hearing now. And furthermore, we are anticipating what we're about to hear. We, we listen in three dimensions. We listen in the past, in the present, and in the future simultaneously. And this is not something that you have to be highly educated to do. It's just what we do naturally. Some people train themselves to be very aware of this, and some people just float along doing this. It's not something that you have to learn how to do. It is simply something that we do. So when you're surprised and delighted by music that defies your expectation with something better than what you expected, well, then you're experiencing this very temporal way of listening. You're experiencing the now, the past, and the future. And that happens at every moment of every song and every piece of music that you've ever heard. And what I want to focus on to bring it back to Diego's question, what I want to focus on is the reevaluation piece. The part that says, wow, what I'm hearing right now is maybe a little bit wonky, but I reserve judgment. I reserve judgment until the next note. And once the next note arrives, then I retroactively say, hmm, that other moment was okay by me. And this happens all the time in music. And in fact, it's something we enjoy as listeners. We enjoy the feeling of friction as long as it leads somewhere. We enjoy the feeling of tension as long as it's released. And that's exactly what these passing chords are doing. If I were to stop on a passing chord, it feels very unfinished. But if I keep moving through and sort of come back home, you know, retroactively I say, well, that little passing moment was actually okay by me. Now that I see where you were going with that, I reserve judgment. And we can get a little more extreme with this if we reimagine the melody, just for fun. Just, just imagine somebody rewrote this melody so that it went like this. Au clair de la lune, mon ami Pierrot. Now there are clearly some notes in there in this sort of jazzy re-rendering of the piece. There are some, clearly some notes in there that do not belong. 
in this key or even to this chord that we're playing at the moment. Oh, clair de la lune. I mean, that A flat, where does that come from? That doesn't belong to anything in this harmonic neighborhood. And yet, we can make it sound okay in retrospect. Like, for example... I have no problem with that. In fact, there's a little piece of me that kind of likes it. (laughs) And it's because I continue the line. It's because I fill my promise to lead you somewhere. It's because the friction turns into heat and warmth. That's what we are looking for. We are looking for resolution. And if the resolution comes, we're happy with the tension that preceded it. If I stop there and I say, thank you very much. Good night, everybody. And that's the end of the piece. Well, that is not following through, is it? You are just going to sit in that moment, anticipate something that was going to happen, and not have that expectation fulfilled. That is not kind. (laughs) That is not nice to your audience. But something like that works just fine, even though there are some moments in there that you would not want to end with. So that's my point. One last word on this, and that is... Rhythm plays an important role here. The fact that these non-chord notes fall on weak beats in the measure is not by accident. The strong beats, remember, are where you would naturally tap your foot to the music. Au clair de la lune. Right there. It's also where we would put the natural accent in the speech. Au de la no. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. So it tends to be one and three are those natural strong beats in the measure, where two and four kind of fall in between. And it's no surprise to me that it's beat four that we're talking about here, because what happens on beat four sort of mm, doesn't have a huge impact because beat three, a strong beat, is right before it, and beat one of the next measure, also a strong beat, is immediately after it. So sort of what happens on beat four stays on beat four, I guess you could say. Rhythm is important here, and let's not forget the influence of those strong beat notes versus the weak beat notes. There are exceptions to this, and one of those exceptions you can actually find in the ukulele way. If, if you scroll ahead to book five, lesson seven, you'll find a beautiful piece by Felix Mendelssohn called Spring Song. I'll play a little bit so you can hear what I'm talking about.
mean, it's a, a lovely melody that is challenging, but it's also very much like Eau Claire de la Lune, just at a much higher level. You hear those moving melody lines that harmonize. That is very similar in technique to Eau Claire de la Lune, but it's more chromatic, it's uh, a more challenging rhythm, and it covers more of the ukulele fretboard. But if you look ahead to the very end of this, the, um, the melody line coming into the very final measure goes like this. I'll play the chords and sing that melody line so you hear what I'm talking about. Now, did you hear the very dissonant moment? You might have heard it. It's right here. There's this B natural over a G minor chord. I mean, I can hardly sing that. It's so dissonant, right? It, it does the the melody note of the moment does not agree with the chord at all. In fact, it's about as dissonant as you can get. A B natural against a B flat note in the chord G minor. But of course, what is Mendelssohn doing? He's just stringing us along because immediately after that extremely dissonant strong beat note he lets it resolve to the chord note so we get that resolution but it's a very bold thing to do uh, to land so strongly with both feet and all of the melodic weight on this incredibly dissonant note knowing full well that it will resolve but knowing also full well that it's going to make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. So, obviously there are exceptions to these rules, as always, in music and in all things. But I hope, Diego, that this discussion has been helpful and that it goes beyond the usual explanation of of passing chords, which I think is a, a good explanation, but I think the more interesting underlying aspect here is the way that we listen, the anticipation and the retroactive judgment of whether a note sounded good or not. To me, that opens up a whole new way of conceiving of music and the experience of music. So, thank you, Diego, for the really interesting and well-articulated question, and I hope that this podcast has been helpful. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Euktropolis podcast. My name is James Hill. I'll be back again next week with another real ukulele answer to a real ukulele question from one of the students at euktropolis.com. And in the meantime, you can head over to euktropolis.com, check out any number of free lessons that we have available. And if you're so inclined, jump into one of our unique online ukulele courses. There's nothing like it anywhere on the internet. So stop by and join in the fun. And until next week, keep on strumming.